news right throughout the whole of the year. Which is why, really, I thought that we'd have a look at the other side tonight, having looked at Mary this morning and thought about God in a body, I wanted to think about God with us. Those are huge words, aren't they? I mean, none of them is bigger than four letters. But yet they are huge in their impact and in their importance. So how did God come to live with us? I I can just imagine what it must have been like for, for Mary and for Joseph. I mean, you think a bit now. The angels come to Mary, as we mentioned this morning, told her that she would be with child of the Holy Spirit. She then leaves, according to the rest of chapter 1 of of Luke, and goes for three months to her cousin Elizabeth, who's also pregnant unexpectedly. Then she comes back again and comes back to Nazareth, which is where really our story comes in. Now, can you imagine what must have happened as she walked through, rode through, however she did, into the gates of Nazareth? People behind their curtains looking? Do you notice something about Mary? It put on a bit of weight by the look of it. Can, can you imagine the, the rumour mill as it starts to get into full swing? And the ladies come together at Mary's Well, which is what it's now called, Gossiping about, have you seen Mary? You know what's happened to her, don't you? Oh, I cannot believe it. She's been away to Judea and she's been that unfaithful to Joseph. You can, you can imagine the village elders, can't you, sitting in the gate of the city because that's where they used to sit in those days, stroking their beards, beards shaking their heads. Oh, something really bad has gone on here. And what about Joseph when he first met Mary? Now, Matthew, of course, brings that story to us on the back of a genealogy. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. The Old Testament's a fantastic part of the Bible, isn't it? And it leads up to something that's really exciting for us. If you read it carefully, you will see that the whole of the Old Testament history has come right through the story of the kings. Remember that we read this morning that Joseph was a descendant of King David and that the son that was going to come would sit on David's throne. Every king that came along, folks around said, is this the Messiah? Is this the one who's going to sit on David's throne? And you come through the the, the Psalms and the songs are about the wonder of this future kingdom that was coming and the glory of that king. Then you hit the prophets and the prophets, particularly the first one, Isaiah, starts talking about this king who is coming. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming. So you know now that as you enter the New Testament, you are going to expect a king to come. Matthew says these amazing words. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. Let me just take that off for a minute. And imagine for the moment that was the first time you'd ever read that. That's hard, isn't it? I mean, what would you have said after this? This is how the birth of Jesus, who is the Christ, which is really how we ought to read it, came about. God's son coming into the world. How would it possibly happen? Well, this is how it happened. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child of the Holy Spirit. Would you have put your son into the midst of scandal? 
Even if the scandal wasn't true, would you, would, you, would, you have, would you have risked that? It is quite amazing, isn't it? This is how it happened. Unbelievable message. He came right into the middle of a messy world. Can I tell you, our world's messy. Have you worked that out yet? It's scandalous. It's full of all kinds of stuff. Actually, we're quite good at it. I was... Um, I was <laughs> Sorry, guys, if you, if you want to shut your wife's ears for a minute. Yesterday, I vacuumed the whole house. The reason is, is my wife has got a bad back. At least that's what she told me. So, no, no, she has, seriously. I noticed something about our bedroom carpet. It's nearly white. It's a big mistake, but there it is. There were some black spots on it, which Sandra noticed. Can I tell you, 99.9% of our carpet is white. But that little 0.1% had black dots on it. Isn't it amazing how we always major on the bad instead of on the good? And I have no doubt, because you can kind of feel it behind the text, that that's exactly what happened here. They saw, they saw Mary... And they saw that she was pregnant and they jumped to a conclusion. Even Joseph does. Because that's the kind of world we live in, isn't it? I'm really fascinated by this. I'm fascinated how quickly we blame other people for things that go on in our lives. We've always got reasons for it. Never my fault. It's always somebody else's fault. You know why that happens? Yet it's called sin. It happened right at the very beginning. When God confronted Adam and Eve about eating the fruit from the tree, they blamed each other. Well, actually, Eve didn't. Eve blamed the serpent. The snake's fault. If you hadn't made a snake God in the first place, I would never have got this mess. And Adam says these actual words, the woman you gave me. She was the one who gave it to me to eat. If you hadn't given me that woman, Lord... And somehow or other, we are very good at that. And you can feel it as you come to Matthew... This is how the birth of Jesus Christ took place. There's Mary, and she's pregnant, and she should not be pregnant. This is what the text says. It says she was, I put Mary's well up there so you might sort of see, this is a picture that was taken over 100 years ago, but, 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 but that's what the, the, the city possibly would have looked a touch like at that particular time, and they gathered around that well, and they talked about this woman who was pledged to be married. Imagine that she got off the donkey, if that's what she did. I don't know how she got back from Elizabeth's house, from the hill country of Judea, and back to Nazareth. I have no idea. It's quite a long journey. But when she got back there, and Joseph first met her, people around said, here is this woman who's pledged to be married. Their engagement was different than ours would be. She probably didn't wear a ring, though she might have done. But certainly the two dads would have got together. They would have swapped some presents. Maybe even some money might have changed hands. It would have been a very public event. Everybody knew Mary and Joseph were engaged to be married. They, they wouldn't put the wedding off. Nothing would break that engagement. Well, almost nothing anyway. And here she is now, coming into the city, very obviously pregnant. I don't know whether Joseph confronted him and said, well, how did this happen then? Well, the answer's obvious, isn't it? Mary says, well, 
One day an angel came to me. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, would you have believed it? Come on, you guys now. The day you got engaged, and just a little way down the road, your wife comes and she's pregnant, and you say, well, how did that happen? And she said, it was an angel. Angel came to see me, and he said that I would have a child conceived of the Holy Spirit. Would you believe that? Would you not say to yourself, there's something not quite right going on around here? The story is so unlikely as to be unbelievable, yet it was true. I want to emphasise this all over again. We have a God who does unexpected and amazing and mighty things in people's lives. And it's not for me to judge what God does in somebody else's life. I want us to hear that because I think we have a problem here in Britain. We spend our lives criticising other people and we do it in churches too. Don't we? Can I tell you something wonderful that happened to me? Absolutely, stunningly amazing that happened to me. This is what happened to me. One day, once I was alienated from God and I was an enemy in my mind because of my evil behaviour, but now, do you hear that word? Now, at this very moment, this is what's happened to me. I've been reconciled by Christ's physical body through death so that I'll be presented holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Now, you can criticise me all you like. I don't mind what you say about me after I've gone back to Cardiff. Can I tell you something? God never will. Because I'm free from accusation. When I get to heaven, you can go searching if you want to for the charge sheet against me. You won't find it. You might find my name on a charge sheet, but they'll be absolutely blank. Because I'm free from accusation. And we're too quick to criticise each other. Do you know why we criticise each other? Can I tell you why? Because we think we're better than the person we're criticising. It's the pride in our heart that does that kind of thing. I don't know. I don't know what the people around thought. But whatever they thought, they were wrong. Absolutely, totally wrong. It might have been logical, it might have been obvious, but it was wrong. Even Joseph got it wrong. She was with child through the Holy Spirit. Amazing story. Well, Joseph decided this is what he would do. He would do because Joseph, her husband, isn't that an interesting statement? Joseph, her husband, before they were married? Well, it told me this, that all the time she was away, he was absolutely faithful to her. And if you're completely faithful and your wife's unfaithful, you are thinking to yourself, I have every right to do this, aren't you? Most of us are a bit like that, aren't we? Lift ourselves up a little bit. You see that what that person did? Well, not me. I'm Joseph, her husband. He was a righteous man. Let me tell you, the Holy Spirit wrote that through Matthew. So he was a righteous man. To be righteous means that you are in the right with God. That's what it means to be righteous, to be in the right with God. I, I wonder whether anybody will ever say that about my life. More importantly, I wonder whether God would say it, who knows me through and through. But he was a righteous man. And because of that, he knew what he ought to do according to the law. Deuteronomy 22 says, talking about a charge of somebody being pregnant before they get married, if, however, the charge is true, 
and no proof of the girl's virginity can be found, she shall be brought to the door of her father's house, and there the men of the town shall stone her. She has done a disgraceful thing in Israel by being promiscuous while still in her father's house. You must purge evil from among you. So Joseph knew because he was a righteous man and in the right with God exactly what he had to do. I love the man's gentleness. <laughs> now Joseph, you've got to keep the law. Come on now. Get her out there by your father's house, right by the front door, by her father's house, right by the front door. You've got to do it. That's what the law says. But this is what Joseph decided. Joseph said, I'm going to divorce her quietly. I love this woman way too much to make a public example of her. I don't know in the back of his mind whether he thought to himself, I wonder if this really is true. But whatever it was, you see within Joseph's three wonderful characters, a faithful, loyal man who was always her husband. A man who was righteous before God. Good that, isn't it? Personally faithful. Before God, righteous. And before the people, gentle. I want to be a Joseph. I don't know if you do. I want to be a man just like he was. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. I guess he took his bedroll off the wall because that's where they used to keep them. Put it on the floor, tucked his nightshirt in, pulled his nightcap on, took his last mouthful of cocoa, lay down for the night, if that's what they did. Uh, would you have slept? I don't think he slept very well that night, but I know he did sleep, because this is what happened that very night. I have noticed something about God. I don't know if you've noticed this, but I have noticed something about God. He's brilliant at stepping in just at the right moment. Absolutely spot on the right moment. And this is what he did. But after he considered this, after he considered this very thing, that he was that next morning going to divorce Mary, privately, not publicly. After he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what's conceived from her is of the Holy Spirit. That, that's, exactly, that's exactly what he said to him. For that which is conceived of her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. I want to say three things about that. In the dead of night, you can just imagine it, can't you? There's Joseph now, tossing and turning in his sleep, thinking to himself, oh, I wish I didn't have to do this. I don't know if you've ever been there. <laughs> yeah, can I tell you something? Single-mindedly, he had decided, he, he just had his mind on one thing, tomorrow morning, I will need to do this. That is hard, isn't it? I, I, can I let you into a secret? I don't like confrontation. Please don't confront me afterwards. I'll probably run home crying. I don't like confrontation. Probably most of us don't, though there seems to me some people who do seem to like it, but I don't. I, 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 if I've got to confront somebody, in my job I used to be head of biology and I sometimes I had to go and speak to a teacher about something unwise that they had done. And I used to get there the first thing in the morning and as soon as they walked through the door I'd grab them because otherwise my day was gone. I'd be miserable whole day otherwise. Because I don't like that. I don't know whether Joseph, he kind of appears to be a bit like that to me. 
But he just determined, I'm just going to have to do it. I'm going to have to bite the bullet. I'm going to have to go for this thing. But that night, God did something amazing. Can I tell you a story? If we overrun, I apologise. But can I tell you this story? Some of you will have heard of or met Clive Cornish. Clive is, um, is uh, an eccentric, to, to, to say the very least. He walks around Wales carrying a cross and speaks to people. He's a great guy. I meet with him about every two weeks. He's a maverick. He's very different. And he meets all kind of people who I can't meet. He used to be in prison. He did drugs. He's got tattoos all over the place. And, and he gets right into people who I couldn't even, even begin to sniff a, a conversation with. But, but, the, but the carrying the cross gives him sore feet from time to time. I first met Clive 13 years ago. Two months ago, I heard this story. He has a friend called Lathan. Lathan goes around and takes all the pictures and they're making some videos together. We get together to pray as his support group every now and again. And the last time we, we actually met, we sort of sat down and chatted together and, 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 and got on with the usual conversation that you do. And um, at the end of it, Lathan said, it's good to see you again, Peter. He said, do you remember when we first met? So I said, yeah, I remember, 13 years ago. It was, um, it was over in, um, in Brunel Manor. I don't know if you've ever been there. It's a lovely Christian hotel, and I was doing a weekend meet services there with a church from Cardiff. <coughs> Sorry. And um, he said, yeah, that's where we met. He said, did I ever tell you the story about what happened there? So I said, no idea. Well, he said, you were speaking on the book of Esther, chapter 6. He said, actually, um, my wife and I, Dinah, they had two little children who had to be put to bed and somebody had to look after them. He said, my wife and, uh, and I, Dinah, we, 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 um, we tossed a coin to see who was going to come down to listen to you Saturday evening. <laughs> he said, I won. He said, during that message, when you were speaking about Esther, chapter 6, you said... It's the story of King Xerxes, or Ahasuerus, depending what you call him. When, when he had a sleepless night, the chapter before, Haman has just built 75 feet gallows, and he's going to hang Mordecai on. In that night, God gives King Xerxes a sleepless night, and as a result of that sleepless night, the roles get completely reversed. Mordecai gets paraded all around the town, and Haman gets put on the gallows. And I said, if God wakes you up in the middle of the night... Just listen to his voice. It might be he's got something to tell you. And Lathan said, those words stuck in my mind. I said to my, my wife, Diana, I said, of course, that'll never happen to me because I never wake up in the night. Anyway, I always, you know what's coming, don't you? I always wake, I, I always sleep right through the night. Monday night after that weekend, he, uh, he, he went to, to bed and would you believe God woke him up in the middle of the night? Now, Lathan had just met Clive, first time he'd ever met him. He, he said, I thought he was mad. If you meet Clive, you might come to the same conclusion too. He is very eccentric, but a wonderful, wonderful messenger of the cross. Uh, he said, I met him, and, and I said to him, oh, nice to meet you, Clive, how are you? He said, well, my feet are killing me. Well, why is that? Well, I've been carrying a cross round Wales. He said, whatever for? He said, I could never work with a guy like that. Never in a million years could I work with a guy like that. Well, he went to bed that night, woke up, God said to him, Clive, he said, that can't be right, I can't be right. So he went down the next morning and said to his wife, I woke up in the night, guess what God said? Clive. She said, well, if God said Clive, you better go and do something about it. He said, but, but I'm just wondering, was it really God or did, did I just think it? So he, he went off to work as usual, got up the next morning, 
went to bed again the next night. Would you believe God woke him up in the middle of the night and said, Clive again? He came down to his wife and said, God said, Clive to me again in the middle of the night. So she said, you better do something about it. He went off to work, came home. My wife and I used to work for a youth organisation. We just started the work then. I was um, sorting out a leadership course for them to work with young people. And um, we just started there. That day, when they got home, there were two letters for them. One was from this organisation called Ignite, not the county's Ignite, another one. An organisation called Ignite. And um, when he opened it up, there was my picture. That's the first thing he saw. He said, that's the guy who said, if you get woken up in the middle of the night, God might be saying something to you. And he said to his wife, what book have you got? What, what have you, um, letter have you got? She said, it's a little booklet from my mother of daily devotions. He said, let's read the devotion for today, shall we? He said, I don't remember the verse, but I do remember what the man said. If God's telling you to do something, you better get on and do it. So he went to church that Sunday, determined to meet Clive, and Clive wasn't there. So he thought, phew, don't have to do it. Maybe I misheard the message. So he started to walk out of church just as Clive walked in. And from that day onwards, the two of them have been working together for the last 13 years. Because if God asks you to do something, it may be the only time you can get your attention is in the middle of the night. Some of us are too busy doing other stuff in the day to hear what God has to say. That night, God spoke to Joseph. And he spoke to him in a double intervention. Did you notice that? I've always puzzled over this. He spoke to him in a dream. Now, we good conservative evangelicals think to ourselves, hmm, does God speak to us in dreams these days? This is the first page of the New Testament, not the last of the Old Right on the very first page, here's God coming in, speaking through a dream. The reason we are here today is because God gave a vision in the night to Paul, a man of Macedonia, saying, come over and help us. The Europeans would never have heard the message of Christ if Paul had not gone across there in God's time and God's plan. And here he is now coming right in and giving to this Joseph. He'd given plenty of dreams to another Joseph back in Genesis. Now to this Joseph he gives a dream, but watch what he does. He puts an angel in the dream, for goodness sake, an angel in a dream. Why? You've got the dream, why do you need an angel as well? Because some of us are so stubborn we won't move. Get a, give me a dream and I'll say, oh, is it God? But put an angel in the dream as well. We might think, whoa, hold on a minute. God's trying to get something through to me here, isn't he? I, 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 don't, I, I wonder sometimes how little I listen to God. You know how amazing God is? God's so amazing that he will speak to me in the genre that I'm going to believe. Now frequently, most frequently, God speaks to me through his word, through the Bible. Because that's what I spend my time reading. And that's where I expect to find him. But everybody's not the same. And God speaks to people in a myriad of different ways. The problem is, is we don't listen very often. And Joseph had no option that night but to listen. And God said to him, in a dream, through an angel, this is what you've got to do, you get, better get, not divorce that woman, you better go and marry her tomorrow. There's going to be a wedding ceremony tomorrow morning, you better get there and marry Mary. Because she is going to give birth to a son. In fact, it was a triple blessing. 
that God promised to this man, this single-minded man who he had intervened on two fronts to him, a dream and an angel. He gave him a triple blessing. Blessing number one was, she will give birth to a son who is Holy Spirit conceived. What, you mean Mary was telling the truth? However unlikely the story, she was telling the truth. The Holy Spirit had conceived within her this little tiny speck, as we said this morning, within the womb of a small, simple peasant girl from Nazareth. Wonderful story that God should come as one of us. I'll never understand. The more I hear the story told, the more amazed I am. Amazing, glorious story conceived of the Holy Spirit. See what God can do when he starts working in simple lives. Not not only so, not only was the Holy Spirit conceived, but a son was given. I don't know whether, whether in his dream, sometimes I'm interactive in my dreams, I don't know whether you are, I seem to speak back to people, and sometimes in the morning I remember what I said to them, and I'm thinking, I don't get that. I don't know within this dream whether Joseph thought to himself, that sounds like Isaiah to me, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Going to have a son? Whoa, that's amazing. God said not only Holy Spirit conceived, but a son would be born. And this to him must have been the most wonderful thing that that he said, that you'll call his name Jesus. Jehovah the Saviour. Actually, the Joshua of the Old Testament. And you'll call his name Jesus because he shall save his people. Just like Joshua went into the promised land and conquered it for God, so here comes the conquering Messiah. Did that what he thought? I mean, that's what they were hoping for and that's what they expected, wasn't it? A Messiah who would drive out their enemy, get rid of the Romans. He would come and set up his everlasting kingdom and reign from shore to shore. And they must have thought to themselves, whoa, it's happened at last. The Old Testament moving towards it. Now in Matthew, right at the very beginning, The Holy Spirit, through the pen of Matthew, brings it to us that the one who's come is the Messiah. They're going to save his people. But that's not actually what the message said. The message says this, not only will he save his people, but he will save his people from their sins. See, the people of Israel thought their biggest problem was the Romans, and it never has been. The biggest problem of this world... It's not the politicians that we vote into place or don't vote into place, depending on how we feel. The the biggest problem of this world is not its economy. It's it's, It's not even its view of God. The biggest problem is our sinfulness. And he had come to deal with the root problem to everything that there is in this world. He'd come to deal with the problem of sin. I mean, I said this morning, the answer... The answer to the problems of the world is Jesus because he's our peace. The answer to the problems of the world is Jesus because, hallelujah, he's come to save his people from their sins. That's why I love that song, Before the Throne of God Above. I have a strong and perfect plea. It's not to do with me. Praise God, it's to do with him. And I stand in his presence There is, therefore, listen to the words of Scripture, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Other people might condemn me, but let me tell you, God never will. The blood of Christ speaks before his throne on my behalf. Of course, that doesn't mean I carry on doing whatever I like. 
Actually, the wonder of forgiveness is that because I have been forgiven, I will want to give him everything I possibly ever can. But the joy that he had come to deal with the heart problem. Because unless you deal with hearts, you'll never deal with the problem. You can't persuade people. You can't persuade people to do something. You can't force them to do it. You can't even give them them guilt trips to do it. But once the heart is changed, there are certain things you'll never have to ask me to do. I'll always do them because I love doing them. Vacuum in the house isn't one of them, by the way. But, but, But there are some things, there are some things you might have to say to me, will you do it because you love me? Oh, that's what makes the difference, isn't it? That, that's why I picked up the vacuum cleaner yesterday. Not because I love doing it, but because I love the one who asked me to do it. That makes the difference, doesn't it? And he came to deal with that condition, the condition of my heart. He came to save his people from their sins. Matthew adds this. All this took place. This is what Matthew comments on it. Through the, again, through the Holy Spirit. Matthew says all this took place to fulfil what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive, give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. And helpfully he adds, just to get it home to our hearts, just so that we Gentiles don't miss it, which means God with us. Three letters, God. Four letters, with. Two letters, us. Is that too hard? Is that too hard to understand? Can we get that? God with us. God, the almighty God, the creator God. The God who who at this moment sustains the universe. The God who is supreme, above all. Blessed forevermore. Who who only lives in light which is unapproachable. Nobody can see him. That God, that's the God we're talking about. God. Let me tell you, God and us shouldn't be in the same sentence. It shouldn't even be in the same book we're not in the same league, but here's the wonder of it, that God is with us. That's why he came into this world, to be with us. It's always been God's great desire from the day he walked with Adam and Eve, was to come and live with us. That's what he says in Exodus chapter chapter 4, I will be their God and they will be my people. I want to be with them. I want to live with them. I want to dwell with them. That's the wonder of when it's all fulfilled in the day that's yet to come. You did know he was coming back, didn't you? Now, I don't know what you believe about how he's coming back. And frankly, I'm not really interested because one day we'll all know we got it wrong. But you know that, don't you? But, but I know this, he is coming back. That's the wonder of it. The glory of it is that he is coming back. And he's coming back for this very reason. Uh, and it, it, it comes from Revelation 21. When, when the angel shouts from heaven, the tabernacle of God is with men. He's come to live with people and they will be his God and he will be their people. Uh, There's a day coming when he's coming to permanently and obviously live right there with us. But that's his desire now to be with us. God with us. Not just alongside us, with us, but with us on our account. He's the God who's with us. With us. He's right there with us. So the Gospel of Matthew ends like this, and lo, I am with you always, because he's come to live with us. See, it bothers me sometimes. Pardon, this is not a criticism, it's just a statement, but I think some of us think we came here today to meet with God. 
Well, of course we did, to meet collectively with God. But didn't you meet with him this morning? Didn't he live with you this morning? Didn't you have breakfast with him? I'm going home shortly after the service. And I'm praying that he'll be right there alongside me. In fact, I'd rather him be in the driving seat, to be honest. Because I want, I want to know the knowledge of him with me 24-7. He doesn't promise to be with us when we come into a church building or where we do religious stuff. He promises to be with us. God with us, living alongside us in the house next door to us, in the room alongside us. God came to be with us. Oh, that this Christmas God might just give us that spirit of him being right there with us every moment of every day. I want to live like that, with God with me. Because he is. That is so remarkable. Uh, There's a man called um, Solomon who prayed a prayer of dedication. And in the middle of that prayer, this is what he said. And will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heaven. There's a bit of theology there. But but the highest heaven is the uncreated heaven. You know God created heavens and earth, Genesis 1? Where was he when he created it? Well, he had to be in the highest heaven. The highest heaven cannot contain you and yet God came awesome word in the tiny tiny seed of a little baby the God who heaven cannot contain said I'm going to be with you always what would you do with a message like that I don't know whether Joseph slept any more of the night I wouldn't have done I think I would have just got up and praised the Lord for the rest of the night, wouldn't you? And grabbed whatever musical instrument I had or whatever else happened to be on my, one of my many devices. And I would have sung at the top of my lungs until I could sing no more about the glories of this Saviour. Well, what are we going to do with a message like this? Come on now, what are we going to do? I mean, it's lovely to come to church together on Sunday, but what are we going to do with a message? Do we just hear it and say, well, I enjoyed that message? And God's not after us enjoying his word, though, he, of course, he loves that when we do, because his word is enjoyable, isn't it? I mean, I think it is anyway. That's part of my mission, is to tell people how exciting God's word is. But, but he wants us to hear his voice and do something about it. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded, took Mary as his wife, had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. I want to say four things quickly. In the morning's glow, as he got up, I imagine him as dawn broke. You can kind of imagine it, can't you? He said, we need to get married. The night before, he was talking about divorce. The next morning, he's talking about marriage. Isn't it amazing when God intervenes in our lives? Don't you just love God intervening? I praise God that he intervenes constantly in my life. Think of the mess we'd be in without God coming day by day, moment by moment, and just doing things. And he married her. I, I, I don't know whether she had a wedding dress on. I don't know whether she had ten virgins, let alone whether five of them were wise and five foolish. I'm sure she must have heard the bridegroom's coming as he left his father's house and went to her father's house to take her back to his father's house with her so the two of them could become one. But that's what he did that day. Ah, but they didn't really become very much one, did they? I, I've called it a rushed, uh, a deficient honeymoon because it says this. It says it quite clearly. He had no union with her. God could not allow that to happen. 
He knew very well that, that she had God's son and that God was going to protect him right the way through so that nobody ever could any, at, at any time say, well, perhaps, just perhaps, this baby came through the seed of Joseph. She gave birth to the son. We spoke together about this this morning. He was supernaturally conceived, but naturally born. Good that, isn't it? Absolutely naturally born. There was nothing, there was nothing magical about all of this. He was just, just born in the same sort of way. Because as my saviour, he has been through everything that I have ever been through. That's what makes him such a brilliant high priest. He knows the problems that I have. She gave birth to a son, and she gave him the name Jesus. Isn't that a great name? Isn't that a wonderful name? Every time you breathe it, doesn't, doesn't it just send a shiver down your spine? Doesn't it just make your heart warm? Doesn't it make you want to jump up and down with joy? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. What a beautiful name. He gave him the name Jesus. Jesus, it, it's simple. It's, it's not hard to say. That, that's what I love about belonging to him. It's not about complicated rituals. It's not about difficult words. It, it, it's just so simple. They gave him the name Jesus. N no wonder him writers down through the years ha have just centred on that and wrote words like how sweet the name of Jesus sounds. It's just wonderful to know that God came into our world in the person of Jesus. And that day, he went and did what the angel had said. He took the reproach that Mary had and shared it with her at that moment. It, isn't that exactly what he's done for us? Hasn't he taken our reproach and shared it with us? He took our sins upon himself. And we're going to be thinking about the wonder of that as we break bread. The wonder that he took my sin and became what I should have been. He gave him the name, Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And I thank God this evening for a wonderful, amazing saviour who came to where we were because we could never get to where he was until he came to where we were. And praise God for a wonderful saviour, God's only son, who came to make us sons of God alongside him too. And as we think about Christmas... May it not just be about presents and tinsel and all those other things that we love to enjoy. May our hearts every day be enraptured by an amazing saviour for his glory. Amen. Let's just thank God. Lord, thank you for sending into, your, in, into our world your amazing son. We worship you for the wonder of that incarnation in Jesus' name.